visiting the four agreements with apologies to Don Miguel Ruiz. The first agreement, be impeccable with your word. Impeccable is coming as close as one can to being perfect. Perfect, of course, doesn't exist. The intent is to come as close to perfect as you can with speaking your truth from a place of love. This is not about winning approval, avoiding punishment, settling scores, or satisfying desires. Put another way, the opposite of what many of us learned over time. Of course, there's no shame in that because we do what we know and what we learned. When we get an opportunity to learn to be better, why not embrace it? When we aren't speaking from that place of love and truth, there's one primary culprit that appears in multiple ways. Oh Christ, we're heading down this road again. Fear. Yep, there it is. Never said you had to like it, but not liking something has yet to make it not true. We can dissect this from a couple of different angles. The one most discussed, and legitimately so, is what's said. The brilliant or not-so-brilliant linguistic tones that we express through our voice. There's the obvious fear of negative reactions and consequences that may come. The potential cost of a promotion that we convinced ourselves was our sole purpose in life. The risk of losing a friendship or a relationship or even family. Sometimes people, as Jack Nicholson once laid out bluntly, CAN'T HANDLE THE TRUTH. Those fears can lead to a watered-down version, or maybe even nothing remotely resembling the truth. People-pleasing, going along to get along, despite knowing better. Fear can appear in a way that, on the surface, looks like it's opposite. Rage, frustration, anger are emotions that are generated from fear. Think of the fight in Fight or Flight. Angry can feel like it's justified as a defense of ourselves or someone else, and can feel like it's a justified counterattack in the moment. How often has something come flying out that you wish hadn't, or something that which the first conscious thought comes three seconds after the first action's already been taken? Here's another question. How often have you doubled down and kept going and racked up all sorts of damage in the process? This doesn't sound familiar to me, not one bit. I might also be lying. One of these is true. Guess which one? There's also what is not said. Have you seen something that you knew in your bones was wrong but decided not to report it? Has there been someone that you crushed on in a big way but you never said anything? What about knowing you deserved a raise or a promotion, but just sat in your cubicle hoping the suits would notice? While we desire and dream of big things, we're often afraid to act on those big ideas. Why? Because here comes our fear to share in exquisite detail the worst possible scenario we can imagine. It shows you how, step by excruciating step, Step, you fail so spectacularly that you end up tied to a flagpole in your skivvies. I mean, don't we aim our whole existence to avoid being strung up on flagpoles? Fear can create some real corkers. Many of them are scientifically impossible, yet still believable. So we opt for safety, avoiding the flagpole. But at the cost of how many other amazing possibilities? How do we deal with the fears themselves? That's a major individual project with many different webs unique to your experience and what works for you. However, I would recommend getting into the habit of checking with yourself before choosing how to respond or not respond. If you take a second before responding, you could come off as having a wise, sage-like aura or a third-rate William Shatner impersonation. There's truly value in both. 
you can determine where the emotions are at. If you're running hot, probably better to hold off until cooler heads prevail. Ask yourself, is this a thing I can speak of from a place of love and truth? If yes, stop thinking and just drop the hammer. Always make it clear it's about my perception and not you. What comes next is their responsibility. You've handled yours. If it's no, then just put it in your pocket. Mostly, it's a matter of learning to trust your stuff and not letting the other internal noise win. It's not an easy practice. And remember, you're going to blow it a lot. That just comes with the territory. Be okay with that. It's all a journey, so be good to yourself, faithfully, with open arms. Don't stop believing. Somebody sees what I just did there, right? The second agreement. Don't take anything personally. When I was 19 and home for the summer, I took a job at Red Lobster working in the kitchen at night. Side note, if you're a seafood chain, why are you attempting to play in coastal New England? Around here, you can throw a rock in any direction and hit a local seafood place that kicks Red Lobster's ass left, right, and sideways. Well, except for the rolls. The rolls rock. Anyway, Red Lobster might works. Red Lobster might work well in some place like Nebraska, not in New England. Back on track. On my first shift, I was given a piece of advice on three different occasions. Do not take anything personally. And as with most things at 19, I didn't listen. And wouldn't you know, it was a galaxy-class disaster. Everybody hated everybody. Wait staff hated kitchen staff. Kitchen staff hated kitchen staff. Everybody hated management. There was an older gentleman that worked as host a couple nights a week. That was cool. A couple of young ladies I went to... A couple of young ladies I went to high school with worked up front or served, and they were cool. Everybody else, they were probably just fine in any other situation except to work with at a Red Lobster in 1994. Problem was, I only knew them in terms of working with them at a Red Lobster in 1994. And I was certainly a big part of the problem. I had a hair-trigger temper in those days, and... A lot of pent-up anger issues. Imagine a teenage Joe Pesci character. Sometimes it looked just like that. So, that summer was as disastrous as you would imagine. With the high point including whipping a baked potato at a manager after he screamed at me because potatoes weren't baking fast enough. The crazy part was, the manager got fired for that, not me. I clearly took it all personally. Those people were able to hit every single explosion button I had. Actually, let me rephrase that. I let those people be able to hit every single explosion button that I had. Over the years, I did mostly mellow out, but there were still occasions that I allowed access to those buttons. I may not have risked an assault and battery by means of potato charge, but... Certainly, I'd lose control of situations where I did take what was aimed at me personally. Control comes up when I ponder these. So much comes down to control. Accepting what we can control and releasing what we can't. Most importantly, learning the difference between the two. We control the choices we make, the words we say, the actions we take. We choose whether or not we will listen to something. How we can perceive a thing, person, event, situation, what is said, what is heard, whether that will impact any further options, that's all on us. We get to say yes or no. 
We control our own bubble. Everything internal, that's us. What we choose to believe or perceive, also on us. Period. This includes anything we feel, say, believe about anyone else. All of that is ours and ours alone. Even the person who we may be aiming our focus on and how we act toward and about said person. That is all on us. That's only ours. Likewise, the same follows for anyone else. Their choices are solely theirs based on what they perceive or believe. It's theirs. It's their gift. That includes anything and everything they say and feel towards us, how they behave towards us. Not our responsibility, not our problem. Even if they think otherwise, that's their crap. We have zero control over what anyone else does or says. We can't make anyone love us, hate us, adore us, worship us, any of it. I mean, we can to a point, but that's compliance. We can't make them mean it. And as soon as they feel like it's safe, they're going to revert back to what they really believe. Likewise, we also can't make anyone stop opining about us. However, we can control whether or not we choose to accept it, respond to it, react to it, choose wisely, because if we do make the choice to accept it, we give away our control. We give away that which is ours. However we respond, and regardless of the power of the response, the fact that we chose to take something personally is what caused us to lose. So often we base our value on winning approval that is out of our control. This is a game that's impossible to win because it's impossible to play at our best. Master all that is within our scope and let the rest of it go. It is not personal unless it's made personal. Only one person can make that choice and that person resides in the mirror. The third agreement, don't make assumptions. Assume to make an ass out of you and me. Assumption is quite the slick, covert little bugger when it comes to doing its thing. We subconsciously fill in blanks and create false conclusions. Either our expectations are cranked too high or fear finds an opportunity to slip in and turn you into Beaker from the Muppets, except less funny. Neither of these end up working out very well, do they? How often did you put pieces together and wrongly assume gift from someone you love was coming or what it might be only to feel unnecessary resentment? How many times have you seen someone retweet some political meme that was about 76% made up, but their beliefs filled in some very interesting blanks and shot them into a pointless rage? We'll take a few bits of information and, without even realizing it, we let patterns, past experiences, and beliefs autofill subconsciously and off we go, insistent that we know. The subconscious is very smooth and can make it very hard hard to extract what's known from what's assumed. Assumption causes us to suck at communicating. However, if we can master filtering assumptions out, we really can transform our lives with that simple shift. So how can we get there? A good beginning can come from Byron Katie's work. In particular, the first two of the four questions. Number one, is it true? Number two, can you absolutely know it's true? If you cannot explain simply and completely how it is without filling in blanks, then ask questions. Ask lots of questions until you can see it in clear, specific details. If someone says your questions are stupid, politely tell them to piss off. If you aren't getting answers, keep going until you finally do. Be inspired by a little kid that won't stop asking why. No matter how annoying it is, 
they have the right idea. Stop figuring that the person you are relaying your messages to will just know or figure it out. You're setting them up for failure through no fault of their own. I imagine the number of relationships, romantic, professional, and otherwise, that have imploded through this kind of communication is somewhere around what? Infinity? Look, nobody is Nostradamus. Heck, even Nostradamus has kind of a spottier record than he gets credit for. Assuming that someone will just know is a fool's errand. Spell it out. Break out the puppets and crayons if necessary. Don't leave blanks. If you're not clear, then do what is needed to establish clarity. Be so precisely clear that the receiver has so got it that they can even see the goosebumps in the picture. Crystal clear communication will certainly avoid a number of popsicle headaches going forward. And that in itself is such a game changer. The fourth agreement, always do your best. If you've followed my work for a while, you've probably heard a lot of this in different variations. We're always doing the best we can in the moment with what we've got in the toolbox. Much as I say it, truth is, for a long time, I had struggles comprehending that. Let's face it, we all have dealt with people whose work habits have made us want to go on a rampage through a fine china shop with a 10-pound sledgehammer. And if we're really being honest, we've all probably been the cause of someone else's desire for the sledgehammer in the china shop experience. I know I have. In the right circumstance, the right buttons, I can still be quite a jerk. I'm still learning like everyone else. But those people that set us off like that, we write them off as lazy, arrogant, incompetent, not a team player. He plays poorly with others. She is dead weight the rest of us have to carry. Sometimes, the answer is to cut the cord and move on, depending on the situation. Often, you're giving them a blessing whether they realize it or not. I get it. Either way, hearing about how they're doing their best can cause heads to explode. I feel that. How can that nitwit possibly be doing their best? I can go in a blindfolded and perform twice as well. Okay, I get you. Uh, I don't doubt that. But it's the thing. You only see the output, not the rest of the story. You truly don't know someone else's baggage. You only see what they allow you to see. It's not possible for you to truly see what's going on. You don't know what's happening at home, with family, their backstory. It's not yours to know. Doesn't mean it's not there. Is it a bad match with their strengths? Does their learning style run opposite to the training process? Where is their mental, physical, or emotional health? What if the job itself is creating performance anxiety? Could they be so desperate for the paycheck that they're sticking it out in spite of their misery? What we see as laziness or incompetence is the presenting effect, and there are other factors at cause. Feel free to do this as you will. Simply a theoretical explanation. Let's turn this toward how it relates to our own day-to-day -day experience. For all kinds of reasons, what is our best varies day-to-day, hour-to-hour. Sometimes we are straight fire. Other times we're feeling like we're running through quicksand. And when I do say that we're doing our best with the tools we have, it is really important to note that there are going to be days where you have top shelf power tools at your fingertips and other days where it feels like all you got is a bunch of rusty screwdrivers you got at a yard sale for a buck. When it's one of those rusty days, consider doing yourself some favors. 
first, really check in with how you're feeling. Are you feeling sick or anxious or depressed? Possibly still reeling from a crisis on the home front? Understand that some days are just going to trigger a chain reaction connected to what's going on within you. Do what you can to bring yourself back to the moment. Don't beat yourself up as that only adds rocket fuel to the fire. Step back from what you can and pace yourself through what you can't. Try to stack the day with some less challenging work. Whatever it needs to look like, these are the kind of days where you really need to be extra kind to yourself. There's a saying, even the really lousy days are only 24 hours. This day will pass and you'll be closer to your A-game soon enough. And one more caveat to add for those of us who like to look back in time and kick ourselves for our decisions. Remember, we are always learning and growing. We learn more each day physically, mentally, and emotionally. There are all kinds of lessons that we are continually in the process of. With that in mind, remember that none of us is the same today that we were yesterday, or last week, or last year, or 10 years ago, and so on. And we won't be the same people tomorrow, next week, next year, and in 10 years. That decision you're kicking yourself for now, you didn't have the information or mindset then that you do now. Understand that. Try and find peace with that. You did your best back then with what you knew at the time, period. Just like you'll do today, and just like you'll do down the road. Then, now, later, we are always doing our best, regardless of how it looks or feels.